We're rocking right along on Caregiver SOS On Air. We turn now to Take 10 with Dr. Jamie Heisman and Carol Zerniel. Dr. Heisman, a nationally known therapist and expert on addictions and caregiving, and Carol Zerniel, our co-host here on Caregiver SOS On Air, nationally known gerontologist. So, Carol, somebody's in crisis. You want to help them, but you don't know how to do it. Right. I, I call that the, the helpless wanting to be helpful and so in my family, we were always taught never bother anyone, um, which leads to thinking that when crisis happens, if you call them, you're bothering them. Or if you ask them how you can help, that's bothering them. It might be an inconvenient time. And so, you know, in our family, we are paralyzed by the fear of bothering someone when we're trying to help them, which I don't know, maybe that doesn't happen in other families. But I think a lot of people... In, in situations, somebody has cancer, someone has Alzheimer's, that they can see the family struggling, and they want to help. So, Jamie, how do I get off of my, my fear factor rock that I'm standing on and get into action and actually do something helpful? Well, I gather the listening audience may see this as a softball, but the first thing you have to do, again, is take care of yourself. Let's face it. If you can't handle somebody else's drama or trauma, or you can't handle what you're about to walk in, you know, the person who's going to be there will pick that up immediately. So taking care of ourselves, you know, before um, is extraordinarily important. But once you've ascertained that you have, the first thing you have to do is be able to listen. And you've heard me say this, Carol, way too much, but bear witness. Just be quiet. Allow that person to feel safe to be able to talk and emote, and just be on a fact-finding tour without having to try to fix. So a fact-finding tour. So I'm listening for things, you know, what the, the, their troubles, their concerns, um, and possibly what's not working well at home. Absolutely. It's like a triage that we do in the, in the clinical world is that we take all the biopsychosocial factors in. We don't know who the person is in front of us. We don't know what they're going through. We don't know why they got there. But it's so critical for us to give them safety and allow them to talk and emote. And then when we do, we then hopefully can put those pieces of the puzzle together to be able to get them to the next place that can assist them, not to cure but it's like it's, it's a process, not an event. So I don't see any difference between the, the person who gets engaged as a layperson with somebody in crisis and the clinician here, as long as they see this as a sequential process. But they have to be able to be able to listen and, and, and to, again, bear witness and to do that while keeping the other person safe. So, so that sounds, you know, doable to me. If the, if the first thing that I can do is talk to the person and listen uh, and just find out what's going on and maybe let them grieve or complain or do whatever just to be that person that lets them get it off their chest. It is true. And, and you know, the, you'd be surprised, Carol, how many times a, a person, non-clinician, will at that moment in time you actually hear things, suicidal things, if you will, ideations, uh, if you just allow somebody to talk that you can address. Uh, my goal is, is obviously always to listen and to give that safety so that you can allow that person to seek some professional help afterwards. Obviously, it's like a hot potato, and the last thing you want to be kept with is that hot potato. Um, we have to be a conduit, a conduit to the world out there. And again, when we hear and listen, um, the first thing we can do is make a recommendation, but sometimes that person is in such crisis that they won't hear it. So we may also want to pick up a phone and call an uh, area agency on aging, if you will, or at goodeldercare.gov and find out the resources are available even before we offer them. It's like leading a horse to water. You can't make them drink. Will they accept that help? 
Well, you know, I think they may or may not, Ron. It's a great one, and that moment may not be the actual moment they will do that and hear it. But just like any sort of characteristics that involve good parenting, if you're fair, consistent, and available, if you are there, not just on the hit and run, and they say it and they never see you again, um, you have a real shot of getting them to that professional help. But expectations, you know, uh, again, are the seeds of resentment. So do not, whatever you think, expect that what you're about to do is going to cure or fix. It may be the beginning of a process to get them there. Right. So, so what if I want to do more than listen? What if I, you know, want to uh, take food or sit with their loved one or actually, you know, be more involved than, than even in the listening? I think it's a beautiful thing, Carol. I think uh, this is, again, goes back to the fact of maybe developing a relationship, just a real relationship of trust is the most you can do at that time to allow the person to be able to emote and speak and actually know that you can be counted on. So getting food or bringing something there or just getting engaged a little bit more, I always say fresh eyes are better. I mean, the person's experiencing a crisis usually is a family member or somebody very close, and sometimes they can't see the forest because of the trees. So doing the things that you describe just allow you to get closer and actually allows them to get closer to help. Now, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Take 10. We end each of our Caregiver SOS on-air programs with a dialogue between Dr. Jamie Heisman and Carol Zerniel. I'm Ron Aaron. And we are talking about uh, you want to help someone in crisis. A caregiver needs your help, but you're not sure how to go about it. And we've heard some pretty good ideas on doing that. One of the things in the past we have talked about, Dr. Jamie, uh, is for the caregiver, when people say, I want to help, to actually have put a list together of concrete things that can be done that will help them. Absolutely, Ron. But again, you're right. That concrete thing will come from a messenger that the person feels good about. And that's a good thing. Again, all the more reason why I believe that if you are ponying up and getting ready to help somebody, that you, as a person who's listening, also need to know where the resources are. And again, I'll go back, and Carol's much more skilled than I am in even actually describing what an area agency on aging does. But go back to the fact of of finding out these resources before you make the list, because the last thing they want is junk science. They want tried and proven sort of techniques and places to go. Right. So one of the, um, I think one of our caregivers was suggesting that that when other caregivers are at a hospital or in a waiting room doctor's office, they get some uh, eight by 10, not eight by 10, that would be huge, small note cards (laughs) uh, and just write things. Three by five. Exactly. Let's get small. Um, Just some notes of things, you know, kind of a wish list of things that they wish they had to help them out and put one wish on each card and keep those around so that the next time somebody asks them, how can I help? You could just hand them the deck and say, <laughs> pick, pick one. one. Wow. I love it. That's a great idea. I love it. That, I now, love that, that came from a caregiver, and I've always thought, wow, that, that is a good idea. But you see, Carol, what you just said, it came from a caregiver. So that's how a support group works, right? So if we did nothing more than get that person who were listening to that crisis to a support group, they're going to hear incredible ideas. It's like the one you laid out and get that support and safety. Well, and I think that's just the support group idea. We talk about them a lot on the show, but I, I don't want to undervalue or underestimate the impact of a support group because there are so many for the various diseases. It could be Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, cancer, diabetes, diabetes, whatever. And caregivers are the experts. Other caregivers, that's our whole you know premise behind our caregiver teleconnection. We connect experts and caregivers on the phone to exchange really good information. And when I do the caregiver teleconnection, I actually learn from the people on the phone. I take what they're saying, which because it's real time, 
real caregivers to my next, let's say, audience or interview or whatever I'm about to do or my next caregiver I see, I get enriched. So exactly that, Carol. You know, if you're alone with somebody in a crisis, you too can jump in a, into a support group if they're not listening because there's support groups for everything or you can help them to get to one. Well, and that's, you know, so that's another piece of advice for people like me who don't know what to do. Maybe I can get them to a support group. Maybe I can drive them or go with them because sometimes it's intimidating to go, particularly if it's in a hospital or a church that's not your church, another group of people you don't know, uh, just to kind of buddy along and help get them to that support group. And then you have the challenge of who watches the care recipient while the caregiver is gone. And I guess, and this is an interesting thing, Ron, you bring up, I guess that answer also lies within that support group. Um, for years, I used to work with adolescents and work with troubled parents. And somehow or another, those troubled parents would always go to another troubled parent's uh, side to help them. So if you are thinking of, of getting respite or finding somebody who may help, I bet you'll find that answer in a support group, too. Right. Because, and some support groups actually have another room for whoever it is that you're carrying so that you can bring your loved one. I know when I ran an Alzheimer's support group, we allowed them to bring their Alzheimer's person with them. And sometimes you didn't know, you know, people in early stage Alzheimer's are very conversant. And I would be having a conversation with, I thought was a caregiver, and I would realize, no, I'm talking to the person with Alzheimer's. So they would just say one thing that you went, what did you just say? Just a little off the just mark. Just a little bit unusual. Interesting. But, but, you know, but support groups are great. So I think the bottom line is what I'm hearing you say, Jamie, is we shouldn't be afraid to help out. We shouldn't. In fact, you know, things happen for a reason, not to get too philosophical at the end of the show. That's good, because uh, we don't have time for philosophy right now. I, I didn't think so. But, <laughs> it, you know, you may be transformed by the experience as well. So if you're ready, and again, taking care of yourself, enter into it. Thank you. Good way to put a period on this segment. Thank you very much, Dr. Jamie Heisman, Carol Zerniel. I'm Ron Aaron. We will talk with you again soon on Caregiver SOS On Air, right here on 930 AM, The Answer.